0: So last week we started off in chapter 13, or we left off in chapter 13. Paul preached to the religious Jews in the synagogue at Pisidia. And uh, the preaching of the truth had really mixed responses, right? Some of the religious Jews believed, but some went against Paul. Some went against Paul and Barnabas, and the result were two things: many Gentiles came to faith. But the second thing that happened was there was a great persecution against Paul and uh, Barnabas that was actually stirred up at this point. So we're gonna do what we're gonna do is we're gonna pick up at the end of chapter thirteen. The end of chapter thirteen. Oh, boy. (laughs) In the morning, when I. (laughs) Some people think I can't sing. (laughs) Okay. So we're going to pick up at the end of chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas respond to the persecution. It says this. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So they shook the dust off their feet. What does this mean? Well, it simply means this. It's a symbolic indication that a person has done all they can do in a situation. And therefore, they carry no further responsibility. So they said their peace, They preached to them. The people did not respond. They actually came out and kind of started to persecute. So basically what, what uh, Paul and Barnabas was, they shook the dust off their feet. Now Jesus told his disciples, if you paid attention during the scripture reading in Luke chapter 9, and he says, if the people don't receive you, if they don't receive the me- message, shake the dust off your feet and leave that house. Okay, so sometimes in life people persecute or argue with us when we tell them about Jesus, and the temptation that we might have is this to fight back or keep trying to engage them in conversation. We just kind of keep trying. We're like, okay, no, you have to listen, no, you have to listen, no, you have to listen. Now, let me ask you this question Do you ever win an argument? Do you ever win an argument? Some of you are like, yeah, okay, well, here's the thing. You may have a valid and truthful point, but winning is only when someone sees your point of view clearly and actually believes it. So here's what happens. If an argument persists, many times people just dig in deeper, right? They might be wrong, but they dig in deeper. And the point, they, they, basically the point of this passage is Jesus is actually giving us permission to say, you know what? I need to walk away. I need to walk away. So those religious Jews wanted Paul and Barnabas stop. So there was nothing more that Paul and Barnabas could do but leave. So they shook the dust off their feet. So now Paul and Barnabas, filled with joy and the Holy Spirit, went to a place called Iconium, which was 100 miles southeast of Pisidia, Antioch, in modern-day Turkey. So it's in modern-day Turkey, Iconium. It was a Greek city with an agricultural and commerce center. So it was a city It was an important city. A lot of people were there. A lot of stuff was going on. So let's look. And it says this. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, I agree with that. (laughs) So it says this. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So as we've witnessed, when Paul and Barnabas go into an area, they normally start preaching in the synagogue. The reason for that was Paul, you know, before his name was Saul, he was a religious Jew. So they welcomed him in. They wanted to hear what he had to say. So the Jews and the Greeks and some religious Jews then caused issues for them. So they came and preach, they caused issues for them. And in this case, it says they poisoned the Gentiles' minds against them. Now, Luke doesn't say how exactly that they did this, but the idea here is this, making someone believe or think something is not true. That is actually true. So making someone believe or think something is not true, that actually is true. It's poison, right? Has anyone ever did this about you? Maybe it wasn't you were you weren't maybe you weren't preaching to them, but maybe you've had people in your life that tried to make others think less of you because they lied about you or they t- twisted the truth about you or they misrepresented you. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe a friend or a family member? Well, here's here's what happens. When people poison others minds against you, Everything else you say and do is suspect, right? All of a sudden now there's kind of like this dark cloud. Everything you say and do is suspect because someone has poisoned the other people's minds about you. It really stinks, doesn't it? It really stinks when somebody does that. Well, now let's turn this around. Let's turn this around. Have you ever poisoned someone else's mind against someone else? Have you ever did that? Have you ever fell into the trap of basically just, you know, speaking badly about someone else? You know, James, he actually talks about our tongue, how we need to control our tongue. Let me ask you this. When you do that about someone else, whether they're a believer or not, how do you think that God feels about that? Do you think that God is pleased with that? Well, of course he's not. And sadly, in life, sometimes we can fall into the trap of doing that, poisoning the minds of other people about someone else. Because maybe we have some kind of motive, something we don't want them to say to other people, or something that we don't want them to believe. The religious Jews knew at this point, you know what, this is going to be tough to stop these guys. It's going to be tough to stop Paul and Barnabas. So they tried to undermine what they were teaching by poisoning the minds of the Gentiles. Like, don't listen to these guys. What they're saying is not true. They don't know what they're talking about. Whatever it was that they were saying, they were trying to poison. So now let's find out. (laughs) I'm not singing again. (laughs) I'll go back. And then go front. There we go. (sighs) (laughs) So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. So basically, here's what happens. Paul and Barnabas stick with their mission. And by the grace of God, they were able to perform signs and wonders. We're going to talk more about this in a few minutes, these signs and wonders. But unfortunately, at this point, the city was divided because of what Paul and Barnabas were teaching. You know what? When, when this happens, it's tough, isn't it? Does anybody know about a divided, maybe country? Anybody know about that? Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's hard to get things accomplished when people are divided, isn't it? It's very difficult to get things accomplished when things are divided. So, see if this works. Yay. <laughs> when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities in Lyconia, and to the surrounding country And there they continued to preach the gospel. So basically what happens is, is Paul and Barnabas kind of said like, okay, you know what? This place is not really ripe to be preaching right now. So we're going to get out of this city and we're going to end up in this Roman province of Lyconia. And they continued and Luke focuses the next section on what happened in this little city called Lystra. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking. And Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. So now here's this miraculous sign and wonder. Now we've dealt with this so far in our study of Acts, but just a reminder they were living out the New Testament. Remember this? They're living out the New Testament. And this was a special apostolic time in which God gave them powers to heal like this. Actually, the scripture reading in Luke 9, Jesus sent out his disciples and he said, I give you the power to cast out demons and to heal the sick. So this miracle was performed to heal this man. But it was also to validate that Paul and Barnabas were on a mission from God they were on a mission from God now something I want to point out to you here is this this man listened to Paul speaking and Paul could see okay this man something you know I I could see it in his eyes and I don't know if you realize this but I could see when when I'm up here speaking I could see who's engaged who's listening who's dozing off who's who's like this guy (laughs) um I could tell, okay? I could tell just by the expression on your face. And those of you who are sitting in the back, you think you're hiding. Actually, you people in the front, you're hiding because I look that way, okay? I look right over your head. So here's the thing. Paul knew it's a landing with this guy. He's preaching about Jesus. He's preaching that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for his sins. He's preaching that Jesus rose from the grave. He's preaching that all who believe will have eternal life. So uh, Paul sees this guy, this is landing. This guy is, is listening to this. So Paul looks at him, and he heals him. Looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Now, this is important because it validates what Paul and Barnabas are actually doing in that city. But here's where an odd turn of events happens in this passage. It goes on, it says, And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconium, The gods who have come down to us in the likeness of men. Then it goes on, it says, Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. So now here, Paul and Barnabas, Paul heals this man and they witness a miracle and they saw Paul and Barnabas and they said, well, this must be Zeus and Hermes. What is going on here, right? So basically what happened is 50 years prior, the poet Ovid recorded an ancient local legend in his work called Metamorphosis, in which Zeus and Hermes came to Earth disguised. Now remember, Zeus and Hermes aren't real, just to clear that up, okay? Um, (laughs) Zeus and Hermes came as men, okay? Disguised as men, And looking around the area to see who would be hospitable to them. Who would welcome them into their home and feed them. So basically what happened was they were in this town and no one would welcome them in. So they went up the hill and there was a poor elderly couple that allowed them into the house, fed them, and were hospitable to them. So Zeus and Hermes were so mad at all the other people, they decided to flood out the whole town and kill all the people. So basically, these people grew up with this legend. Zeus and Hermes, like, they get mad if you're not nice to them, okay? So basically, what happened was all these people grew up with this ancient legend, and now Paul and Barnabas do this miracle. So they're thinking, Zeus and Hermes are back. We better be nice to them, okay? Or else they're going to wreak havoc and kill us all. So basically, they brought sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. So here's how Paul and Barnabas respond. It says, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They rushed out into the crowd crying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men. We also are men. So I think what happened here at first, Paul and Barnabas didn't realize what was going on. Because remember, they cried out in Lyconium, the gods are with us. And Paul and Barnabas were like, I don't even know what they're saying. Right? They didn't understand the language. And now all of a sudden, all these people are bringing sacrifices to them. And they're like, no, 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 no. This isn't the way it is. You don't worship us. So when Paul and Barnabas realized what was going on, they said, why are you doing this? Now, before we move on and hear the mini sermon that Paul kind of responds, a very mini sermon, this is something today in America we can learn from, right? People should not be put on pedestals. Do you agree with that? People should not be put on pedestals. But in our culture, it's kind of strange because it's exactly what we do, right? Exactly what we do. Professional athletes, um, entertainers. This past week was the Oscars. I don't know if anybody caught the Oscars. All these stars gather together to affirm each other, right? They all affirm each other. And um, they get paid crazy amounts of money that you and I would never, ever see, right, in lifetimes over. And they get awarded for pretending to be other people. Basically, that's it, right? I don't want to offend anybody who has an Oscar here. But... um, But you watch this show and they're amazing, amazing. What an accomplishment. (laughs) Meanwhile, in the same culture, we have doctors, teachers, people who serve to help other people, and they go virtually unnoticed. Nobody gives them statues. They don't pay them a lot, right? And they're helping people. Now, this has found its way into the Christian culture as well, right? This author, this pastor, this musician. It's not healthy. Okay? It's not healthy to put people up on pedestals. Like like, uh, Paul says, we're also people, right? We're people too. It's not God's intention. So now we have this group of people elevating Paul and Barnabas as if they are gods. And here's what happens. Paul and Barnabas use this opportunity to tell them about the one true God. Now, what you're going to notice here, very short, couple of verses, you will notice in his little mini sermon or little, you know, just rebuke in a sense, he doesn't quote any Old Testament scriptures or prophecies like he did in chapter 13. The reason for that is they are preaching to people that do not know about the scriptures. They don't know anything about the scriptures. They are unaware of the Old Testament scriptures. Now, a valid point here is this. Paul and Barnabas actually know their audience, though. They know their audience. And as believers, you know what? We need to know the people that we're trying to reach. It is very difficult to be effective if we don't know anything about the culture of the people that we are trying to reach. Now, I know this is tough right? I know this is tough, and I don't think we need to know every little last detail of what the culture is into, but we really do need to be informed. In some degree, we need to be informed, and being informed makes it more challenging, right? Because now we have to do a little more homework and we live in this kind of divided country where we get our news, right? And I talk about this all the time. We get our news, okay? And you get your news from one side or you get your news from the other side. And some of you get your news from the middle, but most people pick a side. But you know what? Sometimes for us as believers, we kind of need to know what both sides and the middle are thinking and believing so that we can actually engage with them in a healthy, God-honoring way. Do you know when missionaries go to foreign lands, what do they do? They get training to know about what? The culture, okay? We can't ignore the culture around us. We have to kind of see what's going on so that we're able to talk with them in meaningful ways in hopes that they see the truth about who Jesus is, in hopes that they see the truth about who Jesus is. But if we know nothing, right, it becomes just that much harder. You know, Paul didn't use Old Testament scriptures because they didn't know him. Guess what? Obviously, we use scriptures to preach the gospel because it backs up what we're saying. But have you ever talked to somebody about the scriptures and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about? That's most of our culture. You realize that? Most of our culture knows nothing about the word. And I'm not saying we shouldn't teach them about the word because we should, because that's the words of life, right? So these people that Paul and Barnabas are speaking to believe in idols and false gods. That's it. They believe in idols and false gods. So Paul actually uses that. And he says this. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. In past generations, he allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. So God gave people free will. Free will. So basically what's happening here is this. He's saying, hey, listen, guys, you know, God gave people free will. Actually, I think I skipped a passage here. And uh, yes, I did. So I'll read it to you. It says this. He says, we also like men of you, are of like nature to you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain idols to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in it. So Paul starts off and he says, hey, listen, we're men like you. We're not gods. This is important in general for us because people are not gods, okay? If you're looking at this culture and saying, wow, that person's amazing, that person's amazing, that person, what an accomplishment, this and that. Listen, you know, tone it down a bit okay? Tone it down. We all have the same spiritual needs. Then first he tells them, he says, turn away. Turn away. They need to turn from the vain things, or in other words, turn from their idols and their false gods, or whatever they're trusting in. Turn to a living God, the creator. Paul's using what we call general revelation, meaning that everyone can see there's a God because of creation. So now we look at our culture, biblically illiterate, but guess what? They go outside, right? Okay. They go outside and they could see creation. They could see the sun. They could see the moon. They could see the mountains. They could see the ocean. They could see everything around them. So we use that. Where do you think that came from? Well, it came from by chance. Uh, That's kind of weird. Okay. You really believe that? Let's like put some skin on that. How did this happen? So that's what he does. Then he goes on and says in past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. So God gave people free will. Okay, God gave people free will. The reason why people can do the things that they're doing is because God gave us free will. So then he goes on and says this. Yet did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. So now he says, you know what? Not only do you have general revelation, we can all see that there is a God through creation. Then he tells them there's something called common grace. That means that God blesses all people through creation. There's none that are hidden from this, right? Everybody is blessed by the rain, by the sunshine, by the fruitful seasons and the food that we have, right? We're all blessed by that. That's God's Common grace. Now, Luke does not record whether Paul dropped an entire gospel message at this point, but what we do know is this he knew what the people were into, he knew what they were worshiping, he knew they knew nothing about the Old Testament, he knew they worshiped these false gods, he knew that they saw creation, he knew that they planted stuff and then grew it and ate it. He knew all that stuff, so he said, Hey, listen. I'm going to use what I know. Sadly, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people, the, the people from offering sacrifice to them. So basically, they just kind of mm, fell on deaf ears. So they're in Lystra, and lo and behold, at this point, the Jews that persecuted them in chapter 13 show up. Okay, let's get these guys. What are they doing here? They're preaching in the synagogue. Now they're preaching to these, you know, heathens. We don't want this message out here. So then it goes on to say, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So not only did they show up, but they brought some presents for Paul, okay? They stoned him. This wasn't a, hey, you broke the law stoning. This was a, let's get this guy. Let's kill him, okay? Literally, let's kill this guy. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city. Could you imagine? Okay, How many people at this point would be like, you know what? I think I need another profession, okay? (laughs) I think I need to do something else with my life. This doesn't really seem to be working. That kind of hurt, okay? How many of us would stop? Be honest with yourself. There is a a definite, like, a a path of least resistance here. So here's what happens. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derby. So I would imagine Paul, at this point, was pretty banged up. And he didn't let it stop him. Sometimes, you know what, when we're doing ministry, things don't go as planned. Would you agree with that? Things don't always go as planned. And sometimes we're tempted to actually stop. You know what? Maybe you're working with kids. Maybe you're volunteering at kids club or youth ministry or Sunday school, and you're like, these kids don't listen. Guess what? (laughs) Kids don't listen, okay? That's part of life. Don't get discouraged by it. Maybe be a little different in the way that you communicate with them. Maybe spend a little bit more time praying before you actually volunteer for that ministry or before you serve in that ministry. Don't get discouraged. Don't let it sidetrack you because guess what? We all know this to be true. We need to make sure that we're effective with the coming generations. You know what? Our church is pretty much like one or two generations away from extinction, isn't it? If all of a sudden we just decide, like, we're not doing this anymore. We don't, we don't need the kids anymore. And you'll see this. Some churches, they don't put money into reaching out to children and youth. They don't. Okay? We do because we know that their souls are important. But not only that, we want this to continue on for generations and generations to come. You know, maybe you're one of the musicians that, you know, does the the music ministry and somebody complains and you get discouraged. Man, I'm up there, I do all this stuff, and somebody's, hey, guess what? You know what? Sometimes people are going to complain. We're sinners, people complain, people say nasty things sometimes. Maybe you're trying to share the gospel with somebody. You're like, you know, I. Pastor Mike's been talking about Acts and those early believers there, they were, they preach no matter what. So I'm gonna to go to work and I'm gonna to talk to people about Jesus and they're like, get out of here. And you're like, oh, that doesn't work. You know what I mean? Like you so you get discouraged and you stop. You stop. And you think like, ah, oh, you know, living a life that's pleasing to God, it's not really worth it because nobody even notices and nobody really cares, and I feel like I'm not effective. Don't get discouraged. Or Paul, at the, end of his, at the end of this little section in his ministry, right? He didn't even walk out of the town, okay? They dragged him out of the town. They dragged him out of the town. Let me tell you this. You know this. It's easy to quit. It's easy to quit. But is that what God wants you to do? Is that, I mean, I know there's some circumstances where you have to shake the dust off your feet, Right? But if it's just like discouragement because things aren't going exactly the way that you thought they were going to go when you signed on the dotted line to help out or do whatever it is. Think before you decide to quit and press on. Go to the Lord before you decide to quit and press on. So then it goes on and says, When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So now basically, if I put a map up there, they went in a big circle. They're back where they started from. They went in a big circle, but here's what happened. They were persecuted. So then what they figured was, you know what? Because of our persecution, we need to encourage the churches that we're at, because if things like this start happening to them, they might fold. So they went back, they wanted to encourage, and basically said, like, hey, listen, this is part of your Christian life. You're going to suffer, okay? You're going to suffer at the hands of sinners because you have the message of life. Satan doesn't want that message of life to get out. So guess what? Things aren't always going to go as planned. It's just the way it is. So they went back and they said, listen, guys, I want to encourage you guys. Part of your life, many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. This is not saying if you don't suffer, you're not going to heaven. But he's saying this. The pathway to heaven for the believer, as you believe, in, and the pathway to heaven is this. It's going to be marked with some suffering. You don't, and you know this, right? That when you believed in Jesus as your Savior, did everything go well? Did you get checks in the mail? And like everything was like, yay, everything's perfect now. Actually, for some of you, when you became a believer, things got harder at first. And you're like, dude, what's going on here? I thought the guy on TV said, everything's going to be all right. Okay? (laughs) It's not what Jesus says. Okay? It's not what Paul says. So... What they did was they made sure the churches were in good shape and here's how they did it. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So Paul and Barnabas, through prayer and fasting, appointed elders in the church, leaders in the church. Today, we use the New Testament to do this, right? We look at the criteria in Timothy and Titus and we appoint leaders in the church so that our little local churches all over the country and all over the world stand firm. People that are there to cheer you on. You know what? I don't think I've ever really had anybody come to my office and be like, I'm super discouraged and I think I should quit. I don't think I've ever said, you're right, quit. Okay. Usually I'm like, let's think about this. Let's pray about this. What's going on in your life? Maybe you need a break, whatever it is. But the the, the truth is my role as a pastor is to encourage and to help you to be successful in what God has called you to do. So then the chapter closes out with Paul and Barnabas on their way back to Antioch. Remember, they're making this whole circle. This is Paul's first missionary journey, essentially. And it says, Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken to the word, word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled so basically then they get there and this happens and when they arrived and gathered the church together they declare that god had what god had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the gentiles and they remained no little time with the disciples so now paul comes back and says hey listen you know what we preached here we preached there we were sent out it doesn't even say that paul's like you know and i got stoned too you know what i mean like so basically they just come back and they're like you know what This is having an impact. It's working. People are believing. God opened the door for the faith of the Gentiles, people that have no Jewish upbringing. Remember, this is the section to the ends of the earth. People are believing. What Jesus told us hey, guys, it's right. Okay? He told us to do this, and it's happening. They reported that the mission God had called them to was being fulfilled. I believe that God has a mission for us. And when we press on and keep going, he'll continue to fulfill that mission. It's not going to be without problems. It's not going to be without trouble. It's not going to be without persecution. I mean, honestly, I'll just tell you right now, for us as believers, we're in a really good spot. We still can have our Bibles. We still can worship. We still can gather together. Let's use it, okay? Let's use it to make an impact to the community and even further out.